going on guys how's it going man glad to be back yeah glad to have you back guys uh you're i was excited when john texted me and said you you know you were looking to come back on i was like hell yeah let's do this shit awesome i got to read the comic so uh you know this is a prequel to uh january 6th which is great um what happened that day i'm just kidding Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) oh doesn't it feel like that sometimes though like 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 when you're like even if you're just a happen to be accidentally on x which i hope uh and not the drug by the way but the, you know the elon musk ridden it was a weird the way i said it was weird and i realized oh some people might think isn't it just weird when you're both um yeah but uh like it just seems like people have like just kind of forgotten exactly why we're in in you know engrossed in all of this this legal shit and everything else even leading up to the election it's really weird like i, I don't know if it's selective memory or you know, or we've just ossified completely, but it's, it's the shock and yeah. awe uh, effect where there's just such a constant barrage of uh, in more information about Trump's uh, various activities. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, it's it, people get desensitized after a while. It's just so much to take in. And so there's there's that danger of forgetting um, exactly what happened. And that's part of the role of our comic book is to make sure that people remember 1-6 and, and the gravity of what happened as well as the ongoing threat that now um, we're facing with uh, you know the fact that the insurrection really never ended. So, um, yeah, hence. And I think, you know, importantly, there's, you know, there's been an active effort to revise history from day one. Mm-hmm. You know, on day one, you heard all the you know the lies about oh, it was uh, you know it was a, just tourists, it was Antifa, it was Black Lives Matter, right. uh, and you know then Tucker Carlson you know actively tried to tell that story, and you know there's a new uh, I think it's an NPR University of Maryland poll out showing that amongst Republicans, they're significantly less likely now to say that it was a, a serious crime, that Trump was responsible, uh, that it was a violation of our values than they were two years ago. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's intentional and it's working, at least with some. Yeah. Well, there is like a cognitive dissonance out there of, about this sort of thing where I can't stand watching the news. Um, it, it, you know, sometimes it feels like our side of the aisle doesn't go hard enough and just blatantly says exactly like call a spade a spade in this situation and i understand that there's stuff that probably goes over my head especially just you know as a civilian where you're like well why aren't they just saying the same thing me and my friends say all the time so i'm sure there's legal reasons why there's people having to on our side of the aisle having to be very careful about what they say right but uh, at the same time the other side never plays that game so it's just this overwhelming sense of like you know, where you feel like the reality you're living in has been uh, taken over by this alternate, you know, hi- historical version of itself. It's it's it really makes you like me anyway, like I'm sure you guys do. But 
for me, it makes me feel crazy, even though I know I'm not, even though I was, you know, we were all witness to this thing that happened. Um, but it just, I mean, the fact that it seems like there's so many people who don't see it, it makes you feel like you're losing your mind. I mean, absolutely. In that, you know, um, Trump has shown that, you know, no amount of disinformation is, uh, is, is too much. And it's not even about taking the gloves off and, and saying what needs to be said. It's just com creating a completely distorted version of reality. And then, yeah. you know, you have the Democratic Party that isn't willing to call a spade a spade, um, that isn't willing to say outright that there is a very real threat of fascism in this country. Um, and that, you know, some and just, you know, not willing to tell a clear, unapologetic story about what happened on on January 6th, you know, this right uh, to the public, you know, that the that the stop the steal rallies were an attempt to steal a U.S. election. It's that clear. Like yeah. January 6th was an assault on uh, American democracy. And um, and and there's just an unwillingness to 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 say it plain that I think is underestimating the real danger, the threat of what we're facing. And I think to your point, John, uh, you know, the Democrats are, are bringing pillows to a knife fight. Uh, they are, you know, they're, they're you know, uh, I think adhering to the truth as they should. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think they should, uh, you know, play by the other side's rule, other side's rules in that respect. But, you know, the genteel language, the focus on policy details when we should be talking about our fundamental values of democracy and equality, right. I, I think is a, a huge missed opportunity. And I, I think, you know, we're paying for it. I think it makes me happy to hear that you guys also agree and say the same thing, because I, I sometimes I feel like if the I thought the Democrats, you know, if they had shown us this in the past as well, too, but it had like this great. Uh, plan or underneath everything else where, you know, you see them at the last second, like come up with something awesome and, and you're, and you feel like a sigh of relief, but literally, I mean, the last election was to the very last second. You just didn't, there was no sense of, we have this and I feel it even less, you know, moving forward now. And, and, uh, and it's a testament to your comic book. Uh, the second, the one that it's out now, right? Like it just came out because I know I got a preview of it, but I don't know when. One six Beautiful. issue number two is out now. Beautiful. It's on Amazon, and you can get it at one six store dot com, uh, and Kindle, and also demand it at your comic book store yeah. uh, because we we want to get it uh, out to as many people as as possible. Awesome. Well, one of the things I loved about it, there's many things that I loved about it, but like it's. For, for someone like me who, who you know, follow this stuff pretty closely, even if you think you know the play-by-play -play of what actually, like, how all this shit unfolded, it is beautiful to see it laid out the way you get, like, I mean, from tweets to the current information that we've gotten up to this point, all of it laid out beautifully in that comic book. It makes me want to just go door to door with it. Like if you guys have extras and you need somebody who's got some time, <laughs> I'll go knocking. You know what I mean? I'll even bring them to school. Like I, are you guys actually thinking about implementing like, like that kind of a thing to like, can you, can you have students read this kind of thing? You know what I mean? Like I understand it's a graphic novel and a comic book, but are you like reaching out to schools and being like, Hey, look, this is actually, like beneficial 
to their education and, and edification of what's happening, you know, in our country right now. That, you know, we, we are. So uh, we've sent, we sent actually over a thousand copies of issue number one to public libraries, to, uh, you know, college libraries. We, we sent 150 copies to election deniers in Congress, but also, uh, you know, uh, also democracy defenders. We're going to do the same thing this year. I just hit send uh, earlier today. Uh, but, you know, to your specific question, John, yeah, I mean, we really want, uh, you know, high school and, and college students to be reading this. And as you saw, it really, whereas issue one, you know, begins in the dystopic future, mm -hmm after a successful insurrection, issue two goes back in time to the road that led us to the, the coup. Yeah. And it includes a ton of real and accurate information as well as some fictional elements. Mm -hmm. And we're clear about which is which so that readers will know what's documented and, and what's not. Right. Uh, shout out to my research assistants, <laughs> uh, uh, Emily Miller and Jennifer Jung, who you know, meticulously fact-checked the, uh, the accurate elements. But we're hoping that number one, it'll be entertaining and engaging. And number two, people will learn something. Mm -hmm. uh, and we really mm -hmm. tried to strike that balance of always making it uh, entertaining and engaging and a story, but also trying to include some of the real information. And, you yeah. know, as you're reminded, reading it, the real information is crazy. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't be more, you know, absurd if we had made it up. And in a lot of instances, we didn't it, have it. It is kind of one of those things is as I was reading it, I was like looking at the tweets and the different sections of the press conferences that you guys reenacted that he had held and, and the shit that he had said and and his staff and what was happening. But, you know, all that stuff. I was like, am I am I reading an X-Men cut? Like this feels like it was intense <laughs> and, it you know, it was suspense, you know, but I was like, I had to keep going like, no, this this shit fucking happened. But you guys you guys beautifully lay it out. And I love the like. You do make it very clear between the fictional element of it and and the factual element of it. Um, but I, I really like the human element that you guys bring to it, too, because I think that's important to see that there were real people and not because when you read that stuff in general and you read the facts one through, you know, whatever on any platform or any news, whatever, you know, you can kind of get like you said, gone desensitized from the whole process, from the whole thing. But when you combine it with, hey, look, you know, there were, you know, real people down there, like reporters and people who were scared and uh, people who were probably interacting with a family, you know, that kind of a thing. Like it makes it, it hits closer to home. Yeah, we wanted to do something that the, you know, the House Committee report couldn't do, right? They could list off the facts in a legal faction in fashion, but we wanted to take people inside the actual experience of what it was like uh, to be there and from multiple perspectives, you know, so we've inserted these fictional characters into the events, um, you know, people who occupy different points in the political spectrum and and see what it looks like through their eyes. Um, and that's sort of a, a way of, of taking us on the journey and really showing what, you know, what uh, the country itself has been put through um by going along with their experience. And that will continue. We're only at issue two of four. There's going to be a whole lot more, but we really wanted to take people into the events of January 6th, tell it in full color, show the people like, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, these were super intense, dramatic moments. There's the violence in the Capitol, but there was also all these machinations behind the scenes. You know, the we, we now know with much more clarity what the plan was on January 6th 
to steal this election. And there were, you know, there's sort of these three basic parts to it. We outline at the end of the book just to make it really clear to people. But number one, um, stopping the certification of the results and putting, you mm-hmm. know, Trump putting pressure on election officials in various states. Um, and then, um, you know, and then Congress, you know, many members of Congress going along with this who were going to refuse to certify Biden's victory um, on January 6th. And then, of course, yeah. the crown jewel was pressuring Vice President Mike Pence to put his rubber stamp on all of this and and Trump literally inciting a mob uh, through Twitter and everything else, uh, as well as calling up Pence himself and calling him names to go along with this plan, which Pence knew was clearly illegal and unconstitutional. That was right. that was all this all this behind the scenes stuff that we didn't see on that day that Trump was doing. Then, of course, uh, the second part, the fake electors, right? Basically, imposters with mm-hmm. forged documents who were supposed to show up with fake votes and get those uh, certified instead of the real votes. Um, and then the third part was the violence in the Capitol, which we all saw um, visually. Right. But we even learned so much more behind the scenes. What you really saw on TV is just the tip of the iceberg. And it's way more frightening when you take a look at who was there and what their intentions were and what really was could have happened on that day. Um, everything from the fact that there was a quick reaction force, you know, uh, a, a hotel room filled with weapons, people ready to jump into action, um, hoping that Trump would declare yeah. the Insurrection Act. And it, and then and then I I think other point important point here is just the prevalence of of Christian nationalism as really the thread tying so much of this together. I was even shocked to see right. how much religious symbolism there was uh, on the on the Capitol that day. So we try and give people that full picture that you know. Um, that I don't think anyone has really shown in a dramatic form yet. No, not yet. And I was kind of, uh, I, w- I was kind of picturing this also, even as a movie or like the way you guys set it up, even as an animatic or a cartoon or something like that too. I'm like, how do you, how do you get this out everywhere as much as possible to in, into in, intertwined in as much media as you possibly can? Cause it's, it's important. I think for people to see it, um, was there a, um, piece of, uh, research that you guys stumbled upon that was tr- like shocking to like that you didn't know before when you were doing this? Um, there's a lot of anecdotes. I have to say there's some highlights, some things I didn't even know, like the fact that <laughs> Ted Cruz hid in a closet while this was going down after just like Josh was out there pumping his fist. And then we see him scurrying out the Capitol with his tail between his legs, mm-hmm. afraid of what he himself had had sort of helped incite. Ted Cruz, who was actively, again, working to, um, you know, create this fake commission that would certify the results instead of Congress, it's just insane. Um, on that day, mm-hmm. he himself was hiding in a closet. So again, uh, I, I think that's both hilarious, um, but it also underscores the sort of hypocrisy of these guys who who are both inciting violence, but then themselves having this holy shit moment, like, I don't want to be caught up by the very mob that I have helped provoke here. And, you know, they're, they're, right. they're uh, you know, shivering clutching themselves in a in a in a closet full of chairs so there's a lot of those little moments that we throw in the comic that i don't think were widely reported but you know people should know about so we were deep in the writing of this thing when the january 6th committee hearing started happening and so uh you know something that it got some media attention but uh cassidy hutchinson you'll remember she was the aide to um, the chief of staff who gave this compelling testimony And she talks about this, you know, uh, incident 
in the uh, Oval Office where the president's advisors are literally screaming at each other and threatening to kick each other's asses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you saw in the book, we, you know, we, we couldn't help but recreate yeah. that in the book. Uh, and so, you know, th- when you really think about that, and, you know, a lot of us have been in these kind of, you know, I, I, I worked at the Justice Department. I was in many, uh, you know, uh, conference rooms debating constitutional issues. In none of those meetings, John, <laughs> did I threaten to kick anybody's ass, okay? So that to me was, you know, just wild. But, you know, some of it that uh, I didn't know was, uh, you know, outrageous, but too boring to put in a comic book. So, yeah. for instance, John Eastman, you know, floats this theory, this legal theory about how uh, Pence doesn't have to actually abide by the Constitution right. and his obligations. Crazy. Even Eastman admits mm-hmm. to others that it's crazy and that nobody you know, that it would never be upheld by a court. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we it's, it's hard to depict that in an engaging way. But for me as a law professor, uh, you know, it, it blew the, the top <laughs> off my head, you know, kind of reading, reading. I had a full head of hair before I started doing this research. So, it looked like mine, right? Uh, it, it, I, rem- exactly, I remember it. Exactly, it looked exactly yeah, yeah. like yours. So yeah, it it was pretty intense for sure. I, I would oh, add another beautiful. point, which we try and really sh- highlight in the book, which is that without a doubt, Trump knew that he lost the election. And he mm-hmm. not only knew it, he openly admitted this to his own chief of staff and talked about how embarrassed he was that he lost and that he couldn't let people know that he lost. So we we now have it on record that Trump knew that he lost the election. And then he was told by just about every top aide within his campaign that he had lost his top numbers guy all the way to his chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And then, you know, uh, Bill Barr, his he literally had the Department of Justice investigating his fraud, uh, Trump's claims of election fraud. And Bill Barr just told him to his face, like, this is bullshit. This is harmful to America, what you're doing, and you need to stop. And so there's no question that Trump knew that he lost and everything he said beyond that point was an outright lie. And um, and we now have that from sworn testimony. And so um, that was sort of as much as we knew that it was just incredible to really see that and then bring that to life um, as people are telling him unequivocally that that he lost the election. Yeah, this seems to be the best form to do it into. I mean, I I, um, you know. I'm always happy when I get a chance to say something on stage about it, but it's only to a limited amount of people. I only, I only get to, you know, I love when Kimmel goes after certain things, but I always feel like details are lost when there's a time constraint, but there's no time constraint when it comes to art and writing and, and, you know, and and a book form. So that must be very freeing. Cause like I watch some of this stuff sometimes and I'm even, even like, you know what I kind of wish you guys would do. I'm going to pitch this to you. Do one for COVID, for the love of fucking God, please. Like, like, just like, because I watch some of this, uh, people talking about it, or I try to avoid it because it's all poison. Um, but, you know, you got like uh, the podcasters that are out there to like Rogan and those dudes. And then, you know, even Marr, Bill Marr to some extent, who I always, mm-hmm. you know, uh, appreciate the dude as a comic. And I always liked him when I was younger and stuff. Um, and now he's, I don't know what the fuck happened. 
but I'll watch uh, this dude with an amazing amount of, of followers like, you know, HBO. And then he's got his podcast now just actively deny or, or misrepresent what was actually said. But, you know, so I, if you guys do a thing on Coke, man, I'll let's I'll I don't know. But, no. but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's got to be frustrating. This on the flip side for the one six thing where you're watching or reading something and they leave out a chunk of it where I mean, you guys, you guys not that you didn't pack it in like it was too much. It was it was the right amount of detail. And uh, and it still leaves you kind of blown away that this is even a thing that was allowed to happen. So I don't I mean, that was. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm glad to hear you say that, because it was something that we worried about a lot. There was so much left on the cutting room floor. Right. So many details. At one point, our uh, one of our main artists, Will Rosado, said, yeah, this this basically, you know, reads like a lawyer's PowerPoint, <laughs> he said to me. Right. Which was, you know, cutting. But, but he was right. Yeah. You know, it, was, it was too many facts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it didn't really respect the medium of, uh, you know, of graphic serialized storytelling. So mm. we really did try to, to walk that line. But, you know, on your COVID point, John, you know, you probably noticed that there is, uh, you know, one scene that yes. uh, reflects the, the pandemic. For the most part, we decided that it would be too much to include that. So, you know, among other things, we don't have a lot of people wearing masks, even though a lot of people were wearing masks right. at that time. Uh, because we, you know, we wanted there to be a kind of a clear storyline, but we did include that because it was going on at, at the time. And it was even going on when, when Gan and I first started, uh, you know, working on this, it was much more intense phase of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that's a story that should be told. I think we have so much unprocessed trauma oh, as a nation over, uh, over the pandemic, the insurrection, the you know, economic crisis. Uh, and we're really not talking about it as a nation nope. when we certainly aren't, uh, you know, getting the kind of care uh, that so many of us need. So I, I do think it, it uh, there might be less room for humor uh, than than there is here. But I, I do think it would be a, a great project to take on. Yeah, it's uh, I'm, I'm glad you said the mental health thing, because I don't know how you guys have been holding up. Um, but Man, 2023 was rough, like, and not that anything in particular, that's the weirdest thing. I don't think anything huge, you know, um, happened, you know, in 2023, but man, I think the after effects, like, like my friends and I have sat down to talk about it before too. And I have a, um, uh, my friend is a professor from Columbia comes on all the time too. And she's a mental health expert. And we always kind of talk about the, you know, the undealt with amount It's just from COVID alone. Um, but, uh, you know, like 2023 was like, we were all like, God, why do we feel like shit? And we were like, um, excuse me. <laughs> like, have you like, are you kidding me? Like, of course, because I, I mean, it was a rough, it was a rough fucking year. And I, do you guys feel that? Like, do you feel it too? Like, how do you cope with it? Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think it took a toll on all of us. Um, you know, uh, I have a, I have two young girls and so, you know, trying to create that bubble, that zone of protection yep. around them, but, you know, still feeling it myself, but you, we could see that, you know, it's been reflected in the national psyche, um, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's been, uh, weaponized, you know, um, the very yeah. people who have been attacking our institutions are the ones saying, see, those institutions don't work for you. And it's like, when you, yeah. when you undermine our healthcare system 
um, and then say, you know, the government can't take care of you precisely because you have been working to undermine our healthcare system. You know, it's, uh, you know, you're creating a sense of insecurity and panic where people no longer feel safe, no longer feel protected. And then that's weaponized and saying, oh, and by the way, the people who did that to you are not the, you know, the billionaires who've been, <laughs> you know, getting tax cuts and, and, and trying to undermine our democracy and healthcare system, et cetera. It's actually, you know, that mm -hmm. marginalized group over there. It's got to be, you know, uh, trans people yeah. or immigrants. And so we've seen this sort of, um, you know, this sort of toxic brew of, uh, of attacking the very pillars of our society, places where people draw a sense of stability and safety, um, and then, um, and then misdirecting the blame for that, um, for that in sense of insecurity. Um, and, you know, this is part, this is, it's an old playbook again, back to this, we're, mm. we're seeing, unfortunately, a very textbook and very unoriginal, except for, you know, the use of social media use of an old playbook um, where we're seeing democracy undermine on one hand and all this xenophobia, racism, sexism on the other hand, uh, with a with an all out attempt to try and and seize um, seize the government um, with the purposes of, of dismantling it even further. You know, Trump has been very clear day one, I'll be a dictator, you know, to, to see someone yeah. openly boasting of that is absurd. But um, this is the moment we're in. And it's it's very it, mm -hmm. we're not taking the threat seriously enough to to Alan's point. I think the Democrats are not willing to face this head on um, and we right. and could be, you know, just sort of sleepwalking into this. And we need to be at full alert as as I, you know, as I think our comment. Do you think. Wait, I want to let me. <clears throat> yeah, sorry. Before I say anything, Alan, do you have anything to add to that or. No, I mean, I, I, I think that's spot on I, I guess you know the second part of your question is you know what are we doing mm. ab about the the yeah, rough year uh, that's just ended and you know I was saying talking with somebody earlier today who basically said like if only I could expect this year to be better which <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is you know you can hope for yeah, it, yeah. right but I, you know, it seems quite unlikely. But, you know, a, a different friend of mine, when I told him I was working on the comic book with Gon, said, yeah, well, you know, action cures anxiety. Ooh. And, you know, it's, it's maybe, you know, an exaggeration, but uh, feeling like we're part of the solution to one of these big problems uh, has definitely been cathartic for me. I mean, it's terrifying to think about, uh, you know, the, the possibilities of, uh, you know, losing our democracy, but also reaching everyday people uh, to engage on it has really helped. I'm going to tell you a quick story that I think you'll love. Um, I was at Baltimore Comic-Con. So I've been to four Comic-Cons in the last six months. And if you knew me better, you'd know I do not need an excuse to go to a <laughs> Comic-Con. But uh, I was there and this guy comes up and he says, uh, hey, I love your book. He's, he's with his son. He's got a, a baby Yoda backpack and his son is dressed as Darth Vader, which maybe should have tipped me <laughs> off. And he says, I love your comic book. You know, this is awesome. Were you there? And, you know, what happened? I said, well, you know, I, I wasn't there, but I interviewed a bunch of people who were there. And he said, oh, I was there. And I said, really? He said, yeah. I, I said, well, what were you doing there? He said, well, the president told us to go. So we oh, went. Fuck. And he takes out his phone, John, and he starts showing me photos of himself at the insurrection on January 6th, 
with mayhem, mayhem behind him. And, uh, and he keeps saying, you know, I don't, I don't usually tell people this. I'm like, dude, we just met. <laughs> but um, he, so, you know, but he told me he went down the QAnon rabbit hole. That's the way he described it. And, um, you know, at no point did he say, and I now see that I was wrong. Uh, but, but I think he was struggling mm-hmm. with it. You know, he was struggling with whether he did the right thing, whether, you know, it, he was lied to. He said he was about to go into the Capitol with the rioters. And then a woman who he was with said to him, hey, we got kids at home. I don't think we should do this. And he's forever grateful to her, he said, because a lot of the other people on, on he came down with got uh, prosecuted. Uh, but the, the, here's the point. So uh, he buys a book, he leaves, and I'm like, okay, I hope he doesn't read this thing before I go. And 10 minutes later, he came back. And I'm like, okay, what's going to happen? He said, can you sign this? And I signed it, right? So he and I spent about 20 minutes talking. And only through this medium, this bridge of popular culture and comic books, could I have had a 20-minute conversation with an insurrectionist. I don't know if I convinced him of my point of view, but we had a civilized conversation. We respected each other. We saw each other's humanity. That to me is part of the solution mm. uh, to to the anxiety and to the threats of of uh, you know civil war that are uh, that is facing our country. I think we we have to be able to cross those bridges with empathy, and I think pop culture helps. At 100%. That's a beautiful story, dude. I mean, I, this is my first episode of 2024. And I was incredibly happy about that. Because I was trying, I'm trying to leave all of that other shit behind. But I do feel like, you know, in my own way, having you guys on to talk about this thing, and then, you know, it'll be out way, it'll out before uh, the sixth. But, you know, just having it out there, it does feel good to feel like you're doing something. I'm like, let me start the year off. <laughs> you know, with these guys and have uh, a good conversation about this and keep it, you know, and keep the story going and keep it alive as much as possible. Um, do you feel, do you guys feel like uh, money plays a significant role in the amount of disinformation that we have nowadays? And I, and I mean that in terms of like, you know, it is more lucrative to just put out whether you're a TikToker or whether you're a news organization or whatever it is to just go with whatever um, is going to get more clicks or more views or whatever it is. And I don't know how to stop it, but I do feel like sometimes I see shit even in the Washington post or, or whatever it is where they're like, these, this person's words are damaging to our culture, to our very existence. And I'm like, and here you've gone <laughs> and given them national exposure. Where do you lie on that kind of shit? Is it is it is it just reporting the news and that's the job of the media to do that kind of shit? Or do you think it's more about, hey, who's going to this guy's nuts? You know, like Vivek Ramaswamy comes to mind like that. I don't see the uh, uh, benefit of sharing what he says half the time. I mean, he's not going to win, obviously. Then I don't know if you've watched the de- put yourself through watching those debates. Um, but I, I did. And I'm like, you know, he's fun to look at, I guess, for the other side to have somebody, uh, you know, saying batshit crazy stuff, but seeming intelligent, you know what I mean? But I don't see it as beneficial to us. So sorry, that was my a long winded question. But what do you guys think about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the 
there is is free speech you know uh the ability to use uh public platforms to lie and spread outright disinformation that incites people to violence mm -hmm. that endangers other people um you know i would I, I think many people would say that's an abuse of the the concept and that now we have these platforms you know social media has created this great loophole in our public discussion mm -hmm. where disinformation you know they used to say that uh you know lie could get halfway around the world before the truth you know uh, puts on its pants, but like we're seeing that a lie can get millions of likes and clicks and shares before fact checkers mm -hmm. can basically call it out. And, you know, we're seeing yeah. that the truth has no pants, the truth has no pants uh. or, or, you know, <laughs> is basically being fired from their job. And we've seen this with with uh, X and Twitter, you know, and so many fact checkers being booted yeah. off the platform. And it's really a perversion of our public discourse to say that that lies deserve the same amount of of uh, leeway as as credible facts and information. But, you know, it, it serves certain groups interests to have that disinformation out there. And, you know, there's a big question about how much of this is being funded and supported. You know, all of these influencers that are that are cropping up, um, you know, with platforms and, and, and seeming like, you know, a good amount of support. Um, you know, I don't think this is just accidental, but we're seeing, yeah, a real taking advantage of, uh, you know, the public uh, conversation um, through disinformation. And I don't think that's that's um, accidental. I mean, you know, people like Steve Bannon have have been very articulate about, you know, the, you know, funding disinformation uh, campaigns yeah. across the world, not just in the United States, but elsewhere where we've seen sort of um, like in Brazil, you know, where uh, this sort of uh, replica of January 6th happened. Um, although, yeah. although notably, this is interesting, um, you know, we're still in the process of all of these cases from January 6th, all the insurrections. In Brazil, they arrested people on that day. <laughs> yeah, I noticed there was that. Just like, they arrested people <laughs> on like, that day and then the duly elected oh. president literally marched to their capital and said, enough, like we're not going to tolerate outright criminality and attempts to subvert the, the democratic process. And um, and so you're seeing a, a very difference in, in approach here. But I think we've we've um, created a lot of unregulated platforms that are being taken advantage of by people who do not have our democracy, preserving democracy top of mind. Yeah, you know, I would add something there, John, which is that thinking specifically about the social media platforms, they regulate our speech all the time, right? Mm -hmm. If if mm -hmm. I, you know, tried to put a Beatles song on YouTube, uh, you know, just to record it, one of the Abbey Road recordings, it would get taken down and I would eventually get banned, uh, you know, my, my account blocked on YouTube. If I put, you know, M Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie is now in the public domain, yep. but if I put you know, the Mickey Mouse Club, uh, you know, up or tried to, uh, you know, to use a, a copyright, uh, I would get, you know, taken down or, or blocked or banned. So they have rules. Mm -hmm. They do regulate our speech uh, on social media platforms, which they can do because they're private companies. Right. They're not the government. Uh, and so their failure to regulate outright lies uh, and harmful incitation of violence, not only in the U.S., but in lots of other parts of the world, as we heard from the, the Facebook uh, whistleblower, Francis uh, Haugen, yeah. uh, is, is really dereliction of, of duty. Free speech is crucial, uh, but even the First Amendment does not protect knowing falsehoods. 
Uh, and in any event, the First Amendment doesn't apply to these private companies. Mm. So, uh, you know, we need to try to hold them accountable. I think, interestingly, we're going to see probably the most effective regulations out of Europe, uh, where they're being much more aggressive in uh, regulating social media uh, and the, the rules that it uses, at least in those countries. That's great. I didn't know that about Europe. Um, I, and it's no surprise that we're going to be lagging behind somewhat. Uh, but I, I always had those mixed feelings like about like the TikTok, um, <clears throat> you know, when they were doing all the TikTok stuff in court and whatever, and kind of deciding whether or not to ban it. Cause I don't really know if there's a way to quantify how much good, uh, those things have done as you know, when Twitter was Twitter back in the day and it was used as a liberation tool and that kind of thing, and to get the news out there a little bit faster, those things you're like, oh my God, this is a fucking awesome piece of equipment. But I, I have I've, I've left I left uh, whatever the hell they call it now. It's so weird that that dude has such a problem saying like, uh, you know, uh, transgendered persons, you know, what they prefer to be called by. But if you call Twitter X, he's like, dude, that's its dead name. Isn't that like he's got like this whole like attitude about that shit where I'm like, OK, but also um, but like I left that when he uh, when he bought it and I went on it on the you know desktop or whatever the other day and it's it's like it's a trash heap i don't know if you've seen it or if you guys are still on it or whatever but like especially with this epstein list stuff and all the false mm-hmm. accusations i i personally don't don't understand the free speech line versus you know jimmy kimmel just threatened to sue um aaron Rodgers over saying something on a so. podcast and then there's all this shit about free speech and there's all this shit about he was making a joke i mean it's too like I, I don't know how you fight that. You know what I mean? Not that I expect you. Yeah. Could you guys solve that? Uh, <laughs> um, could you figure that out? You got all those books behind you gone. Can you open one up? And But I, I don't know how as a society we're supposed to um, fight it or who's supposed to fight it for us or if we're all left to our own devices and this is just going to be the way it is, you know, moving forward. Like, I, I don't want to ban shit, but I would also rather have, I mean, this is coming from a comedian who depends on it to book his his gigs and shit, but I would almost rather have zero fucking social media than risk, you know, um, um, having another insurrection or another way for these that, cause that's another thing I'm talking too much, by the way, I'll edit this, but that's another thing too. Where like these people would probably not have met, you know, had it not been for like an easy, like lunatics have an easier way to identify other lunatics. Cause at first it used to just be like, somebody would say something and somebody in line at the grocery would be like, dude, that's fucking nuts. Just buy your, gro- get the fuck. Out. And then they would go home thinking they were probably crazy or alone. And now they can find 30 other people who think the, the same batshit crazy idea. So I have no idea how to combat that. Um, and I, yeah. I mean, I think we already have lots of laws around this stuff. I mean, defamation, it, it, you know, is one. And again, you, inciting people to violence is not, uh, I would, I would say is uh, free speech that, um, you know, people shouldn't be held accountable for. And also it's important who's doing it. Okay. Your, your, your guy, the, uh, the grocery checkout line is one thing, but a, a public official, um, a, a president, yeah. there's a different standard of responsibility that should be upheld, you know, throughout the media and, and level of scrutiny. Um, and even through private platforms. And I think it's, that's where there's been just this, this abdication of responsibility. Um, and, and those things you can preserve free speech without, um, allowing people to knowingly do harm to other people or to, uh, you know, uh, say falsehoods that endanger 
other people or democracy. Um, and, 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 you know, and you start at the top, you look at, you know, this is, this is a, he was a, he was a, he was still president when, when much of many of these claims of false claims of voter fraud were being promoted. Um, and thankfully right. he was booted off the platform probably far too late. Um, but then, you know, we've seen him invited back by Elon Musk and, um, you know, so, yeah. um, yeah. Does it bother you how, like for you, Alan, like, do you feel like the legal action for most of the shit happens too slowly or is it, or is it just the impatience of our society? Like, cause I'm like, why is, why is it taking so long? Or maybe it's not, yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I think I, you know, I'm impatient, but I, I don't necessarily think that there's anything amiss with the slow pace. I, I you know, my mm -hmm. personal opinion is that the FBI should have, uh, you know, investigated the political aspects of the insurrection, the attempt to overthrow the election, you know, immediately. And some reports suggest that there was a bunch of delay before that happened, uh, which, if it's true, I think is is unfortunate. Uh, you know, but you, one of the strengths, the, our legal system has a lot of flaws and, you know, it, it certainly has biases, uh, especially for the rich and powerful. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, facts and, and the law still do matter. And so, you know, the, the courts make a lot of decisions with which I vehemently disagree, but the basic integrity of the judicial system usually holds. I think that's one of the reasons why all but one of, of Trump's lawsuits challenging uh, election results that, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of them were rejected even by judges that, you know, he appointed yeah. uh, because facts in the law do matter. And sometimes that takes time. Right. So I, I'm not averse to courts making sure that they get it right, with, you know, whether I agree with the result or not. Uh, I do think that they were the, the feds were slow on the draw after the the insurrection. I think they thought perhaps that the problem was going to solve itself. And clearly they were wrong. And uh, so I think now we find ourselves in the middle of, you know, an election layered over you know, four criminal indictments of, of the, the leading Republican candidate, uh, which is messy. It's not a reason to walk away from holding uh, people accountable for what they did, but it's, it's, you know, it's messy for sure. And I think it probably did not have to happen this way. Uh, is there, uh, the way you guys ended the comic, you ended it on a cliffhanger, which I um, think was a great way to do it. But was there like, you've already got the next one planned out. Um, and, I'm just curious, what made you guys decide to stop where it stops? And people will know what I'm mm -hmm. talking about when they read it. But it was one of those things where I got to the end of it and I was like, son of a bitch. Like, I already know, you know what I mean? But I was like, it was like, did you guys see Spider-Verse when the, the second one? I'm, yes. I was like all the way through it. They sucked me into that completely. And then it got to the end and then it was like, oh, the next movie. And I was like, I will fucking lose my shit. <laughs> but in the same way, I got to the end of the comic and I was like, are you fucking kidding? But like, what made you guys decide to end it there? Yeah, well, there's a lot more in store. And so we want to keep people, you know, hanging on the edge of their seats. Um, but, you know, our, our, the, the comic rests on the premise, on the question, what would have happened had the insurrection succeeded? And the first issue starts after the insurrection has been successful. So we already are getting a glimpse of what the world uh, would look like had Trump managed to uh, seize power and overturn the election. And then the second issue 
jumps backwards in time and takes us through the events of the insurrection itself and leads us right up until that decisive moment where where uh, history takes a, an alternate course and not to give too much mm -hmm. away but um it's 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 really one of the moments during january 6th we where we were literally just inches away from uh perhaps history taking a very very different course and so yeah. uh we sort of leave people in that moment this this issue is very fact-based um you know it really goes through the the actual events of january 6th but uh you know this is a uh we love the world of speculative fiction it allows us to talk about important issues and and the dangers that have not yet transpired that we need to avoid and so we're taking people right up into that moment before history changes um and that's that's all i'll say but i don't know alan if you want to add anything there yeah you know john i had not made the connection in my head to that second spider-verse movie which I loved and was furious yeah. with the, we, we won't spoil it for people who didn't see it because it's awesome. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was super frustrating, yeah. right? Same with uh, uh, the, uh, the Avengers, the last two Avengers movies. And so, I, you know, now I'm like, oh, right. Did, 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 what did Urkel used to say? Did I yeah. do that? <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, I think part of it is, well, number one, you know, we need time to, to produce these yeah. things. And we, you know, you, you need to end uh, with enough suspense that your readers will, will come back. But also we learn so much in between these issues. Right. So, you know, when we, we knew a lot less when we wrote the first uh, issue number one than we did by the time, you know, we completed issue number two. And, you know, an issue number two has been in the bag for, for a little while. And so, you know, when Trump says, oh, I'll be a dictator on day one, mm -hmm. we're like, okay, you know, right. what are the implications of that? What is, you know, what does that mean if we, if we um, take him at his word as we always should do history shows? Uh, and so, you know, I think we will benefit. I hope readers will also benefit from that time period uh, in between, which we're trying to, you know, keep as short as as possible in between issues. Right. Is there anything you guys like knowing what you know now would have changed in the first comic book fiction wise, like story wise, anything mm -hmm. you would have tossed in there? Or... That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, you know, Trump is the, is the terrible gift that keeps on giving. And, and, and just like, <laughs> you know, as Alan said, you know, just the other day he said, I'll be a dictator. And we're like, that's part of the premise uh -huh. of the comic, and it and it may not be in the issue, but you know, uh, we we had to get the issue out. But yeah, maybe there'll be a, a director's cut where we're you know including some some additional moments and materials. But um, you know, uh, yeah, it's you know it it the one of the biggest challenges with this as as a, as a work of speculative fiction is has always been just keeping ahead of reality, and it feels like reality has just constantly been nipping at our toes here. Um, as we're talking about what, you know, terrible scenarios can happen, we've really seen, uh, you know, Trump ramp up his rhetoric even further, you know, uh, his, the, the MAGA movement become much more hardened and xenophobic. Um, and, um, you know, uh, who knows what's in store, but they've definitely, again, the, the insurrection did not end on January 6th. Um, the the right. many movements that were involved in that have continued to to grow and we can expect will um, even intensify uh, in the run up to this election. So, um, you know, we're hoping to have this 
completed before the election so that it can really give people a sober perspective on on what is at stake uh you know because we'd hate to have it uh we were joking the other day um that uh you know issue issue number four will be written from jail as alan and i are (laughs) in the gulag you know um if we wait too long Uh, so we're really trying to stay ahead of events and again to you know sometimes you have to present that worst case scenario in the hopes that you can change it from actually happening yeah absolutely i hope i'm gonna get real nerdy right now i hope you're not like those two dudes from supernatural who are writing those fanfic books about the characters but it's actually they're altering (laughs) events as it's happening I swear to God, if something comes out that was in these first two books that he does, I'm going to be like, what the fuck is going Like, it's seriously leading towards simulation time. <laughs> well, if, if that happens, we will both be winning, depicted winning the lottery in, in uh, you know, issue number four, uh, you know, from on our on our jets. So uh, can you, you know, do something for we'll, me, we'll too? We'll, yeah, we'll take care Thank of you. You. You, you. you will be taken care of. Appreciate yeah, that. For sure. Um, that's great guys. Uh, I want to wrap up. I'm going to ask you a few questions. I asked you some questions last time you were on the show. Um, I'm going to make them one sixth themed this time a little bit. If this was the, uh, if you could pick the score, the movie, like what would be the main theme? What would be the song that you guys would choose to go with, um, the, the comic books? What would be the, what would be piece of music? And I know that's probably putting you on the spot, but you know, Mm. Well, you know, John, there's actually a uh, a Spotify uh, playlist for uh, for one six. Beautiful. Uh, but it has uh, eighty four songs, and it's they're they're overwhelmingly like uh, late middle aged black guy songs. So, <laughs> you know, I don't claim that they're like populist for the people, but um, okay. the 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 first song on my playlist uh, for the book is. Uh, is eyes on the prize actually uh, uh, Mavis Staples, uh, which is a um, was a civil rights staple, but she you know puts a a great new spin on it. Uh, but it, you know it's a song of hope, yeah. right? It's a song of of um, oppression a, a, under terrible circumstances, but also hope and the belief that we can come together to to make a difference and you know achieve freedom for everybody. So that's that's my uh, my vote. Sweet. What about you, Gun? Oh, it's hard to follow that one up. So I'll go the other direction. I'm trying to think of all the great uh, sort of evil circus clown soundtracks I've heard because I think we're going to see uh, <laughs> we're going to see one running running for president. Um, you know, I, yeah. but I, I I'm trying to think on that one. But I will say I, I think it's the first time we're ever seeing anyone run for president whose primary goal is to stay out of prison. And so that's that's just going to be, you know, it's it's uh, everything's at stake for Trump personally here. Um, But, uh, you know, unfortunately, we're all we're all stuck along for the ride. Um, But, yeah, yeah, I think it's it's going to be a pretty wild ride these next few months. Sweet, man. Well, not sweet, but good answer. Uh, One of the last questions I want to ask you guys is uh, if you if it wasn't one six, you guys are really good at this kind of like fictional revisionist history what would you want to tackle other than the one six thing like if it was something else historically it doesn't matter how far back you want to go but what would you like to kind of tweak and, and write about the, yeah that's a, another great question um you know i'm i'm interested in this is both uh in my wearing my law professor hat and my storyteller hat uh 
I'm interested in in some of the other voices that should inform how we think about our constitution and our laws, uh, which is not as boring as you might think. <laughs> uh, but you know, when you study political science or the law, you you keep coming up against uh, Alexis de Tocqueville. You know, people keep asking, well, what did he think? You know, America was all about. And here's a guy from France who showed up 20 years after the uh, the the uh, constitution was adopted, and somehow you know, justices are looking to him for what our constitution means. And so I've been thinking about who are the other people who were around that time? The, um, you know, Phyllis Wheatley, the formerly enslaved uh, poet yeah, yeah. who was an observer, uh, you know, Abigail Adams, uh, you know, I, I, you know, Mercy Otis Warren, some of these folks. And so I think one of my aspirations in the, the mythical period when I have lots of time <laughs> is uh, to do both a law review article and a, a graphic novel uh, a, about those folks. Because when I was a kid, there was a comic book series called Golden hmm. Legacy, hmm. which uh, was the stories that were in individual comics about the stories of Black folks. Because basically, you couldn't find Black history back oh, then. Wow. And so, you know, there's a Frederick Douglass one and a Harriet Tubman one. And so my dad got me all of these. Unfortunately, I no longer have them. But, um, you know, I think it was really powerful, yeah. right? It was a way, way in for me. So uh, that's, that's my founding family is my working title. Sweet. Uh, ho hoping to do that next. Awesome. Yeah. That's a, this is a great question. And, uh, you know, I think I work a lot on climate change issues. And so, um, and I think a lot about what our responsibilities are to future generations and how we are are failing them and and they don't have a voice in the present when so many decisions about their lives are being made. Um, you know, so I think a lot about time travel and what it would mean if future generations, you know, there's a lot of these movies of commandos going back in time or Terminator going back in time to uh, you know, change right. history. But what if our great, great grandchildren <laughs> came back in time to uh, slap some sense into us? <laughs> Um, I think there's there's a lot there because uh, they they certainly would if they could, um, and so that is great. All right, well that is I like the idea. Of, yeah, I like I like the idea of a grandchild finally visiting his grandparents, but it's to lecture them. Yeah, <laughs> like honey, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's six generations into the future, but he's yeah. Here. I mean, you, he calls more you, than you our even own. see it now. You see the great great grandchildren of of Civil War heroes completely disowning yeah. their family legacy in oh, shame yeah. and speaking out. And I, you know, there's just so many uh, scions and titans of industry today who, uh, you know, are are trying to preserve as much wealth as they can. Um, who I think are going to be seen in a similar light, and their grandchildren have yeah, a lot absolutely. to say to them. Excellent. Yeah, I'm realizing. I, I love that idea, Gon. I'm realizing in that scenario, we are all Biff <laughs> from Back to the Future. One hundred percent. It's a it's a sober realization, yep. you know. Who, but, who interestingly yep, enough, was based know. on Donald Trump. So um, there is. Yeah. 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 Really, I did not know. That. Did you? I just found that out, by the way. Like a year. Did you all? Did you? I I was like reading one of those random. Um, like fact things about the 80, 80s movies or whatever, and I and they said that, and I was like, it it clicked yeah. once they said it. But I was just like, what the fuck? Especially in the third one, yeah, crazy. Um, thank you both for doing this. Uh, I love speaking to you yeah. guys. I loved speaking to you last year. I love speaking to you now. Um, I will plug the one six uh, second. Want to hold it up? Boom. 
beautiful um great cover too holy I don't, that's awesome um yeah shout out to to uh eigel our um the, the, our cover artist jamal eigel he's fantastic great, man great guys Dystopia tonight.